there's two things that uh, that really make a difference now when we launch a market um, uh, that we do differently than we did in Spain. The first thing is uh, people, and the second thing uh, it's uh, localization. International Corner, the podcast that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve here speaking, and today I'm welcoming Quentin de Bavelaire, General Manager, UK, Benelux, and the Nordics for Malt. What is interesting about his story is that after opening Spain, the Netherlands, Germany, and now the UK for Malt, he found a replicable process to launch each new market every time faster. It is based on two key aspects, people and localization. One of his top insights he learned after opening four markets is that you should not wait to hire your country manager to launch a specific market. And, well, I'll let you see why in today's episode. Okay. Hi, Quentin. Welcome to International Corner. I'm so pleased to have you here. How are you today? Very good, very good. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's it's my pleasure. Uh, perhaps can you start by telling a little bit more about yourself, about Malt, the company that you're working for, and maybe the background there as well, because you've been there for quite some time. Yes, sure. Um, so I'm Quentin. Um, I'm the CEO of uh, Malt, um, uh, freelancer marketplace. We are present today in France, in Spain, in Germany, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, and soon in the UK. Um, I joined uh, the company when we were five, uh, eight years ago. Um, so I've been here since the beginning. Now we are almost 500 employees across uh, these different countries. Um, and we have a network of uh, close to 400,000 freelancers uh, in uh, tech, marketing, design, and consulting uh, across Europe. Um, so basically, um, what we do, we are a marketplace, similar to Airbnb, but instead of looking for a flat in, uh, in New York or Berlin, you're looking for a Java developer uh, in Amsterdam or in Paris. Um, and uh, so we don't only do the matching, we are also a, a freelance management system. So we, we, we also handle the end-to-end project, payment, insurance, uh, quotation, invoices, etc. Um, so we we were created in France uh, eight years ago. Um, we work with SMBs uh, and startups as well as large corporates. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more large companies are actually uh, looking for solutions to work more efficiently with freelancers uh, because the freelance economy is booming. Uh, when I joined uh, Malt uh, <clears throat> eight years ago, there were around 700 freelancers, uh, 700,000 freelancers in France. Now it's more than 1 million. Uh, so it's growing uh, quite fast um, and the COVID has accelerated this trend uh, because more and more uh, employees uh, switch to freelancing because they uh, want more freedom, freedom to choose their client, freedom to work from where they want, when they want, um, and freedom to choose also the project they work on. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a trend that keeps accelerating uh, and we are surfing on this uh, huge wave. So before Malta, I was uh, for five years at McKinsey & Company as a project manager. 
um, and um, I wanted to, to, to have a, a more direct impact uh, <laughs> after five years. Uh, so I met Vincent and I joined uh, the company uh, right away uh, for three reasons. The main thing, as I said, the market, the freelancing market is booming. The second reason is that um, we had a solid product. Uh, two of the co-founders were uh, developers. Uh, we already had a product uh, before we really launched, uh, and it was uh, very solid uh, uh, already back at the, back in the time. And the third reason was the ambition of the founders. Um, we have a network which is 20, 30 times bigger uh, than the number of employees of the largest consulting firm like uh, Capcenture or Capgemini. Uh, so there is no reason why we shouldn't be uh, twice or three times bigger than them. Uh, so we, Capgemini is doing 5 billion euro uh, of revenues in France, so we aim to do 10 million uh, in, in a few years. Amazing and great ambition. And you, as you just mentioned, a few numbers. Could you perhaps share with us, like the, I would say, like the proportion, you know, of the international turnover that generated compared to the French one as of today? Today, so we recently um, uh, acquired a company in Germany. Uh, Comatch, uh, with a strong network on uh, ex-consultants uh, from uh, McKinsey, Bain, and, uh, and BCG. Um, so today, our uh, international revenue is around 20% of our turnover. Um, it's not big. Um, uh, we, we, it's getting bigger and bigger, but it's uh, at the same time a bit tough for new countries because France is still growing at more than 100% year on year. Wow. Uh, so when you already you do... Uh, 200 million uh, and you go 100%, uh, it's 400 million. So new countries uh, starting from scratch uh, need to grow three or four times uh, faster uh, <laughs> to, to keep up with, uh, with the trend. Uh, so it's a challenge, but uh, no, the good news is that we are still accelerating uh, super fast in our core market um, and we have very good uh, early uh, traction in, our, in, in the other markets. And that's actually the topic of today, because as you mentioned, you've launched Spain, Germany, the Netherlands, and now the UK. And kind of find along the way, I would say like a methodology that allows you to break into a new market every time faster. And that's what I wanted to dig in with you today. If perhaps you can tell us more about it. Um, so we launched uh, Spain um, a bit more than five years ago. Um, then we launched Germany three years ago and last year uh, Belgium and Netherlands um, and honestly I think in Spain we did pretty much every mistake we could do <laughs> um, so we were quite confident about uh, our methodology when we when we opened Spain um, but we really struggled for the first uh, two three years um, so yeah along the way we've learned quite a lot of stuff <laughs> on, uh, on how to launch countries and it's true that now uh, Netherlands and, and Belgium are uh, 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 go th maybe three, four times faster than uh, than we did in Spain back in the time, <clears throat> and we have a big ambition also for the UK. Um, I, I think um, there's two things that uh, that really make a difference now when we launch a market um, uh, that we do differently than we did in Spain. The first thing is uh, people, and the second thing uh, it's uh, localization. Um, so maybe I will start with the, with the people aspect. Mm -hmm. It's quite a, an important one, um, and it's a bit obvious. You know, everyone says uh, you need the right casting, you need the right people to uh, to succeed. It's true everywhere. Um, but I have a few concrete um, insights on, uh, on on what potentially you could do uh, to be more successful. 
Uh, and it's not just about recruiting the right people. I think we recruited the right people. It's just a question of timing uh, and, uh, and getting people with experience uh, of your product on the ground. So what we did in Spain is when we decided to launch, we hired a headhunter to find a country manager. That took nine months. And once we find our country manager, then we started to uh, launch uh, locally, uh, recruit more people, speak with clients, speak with freelancers, and localize our product. Um, which is not that I think of it a bit stupid. Um, because a country manager coming from uh, an external company won't have uh, all the knowledge that you have uh, uh, gathered uh, all the experience that you have gathered in your in your home market um, on your product uh, on your um, on the on the um, buying process uh, on the persona etc etc um, so basically this country manager won't have a, a lot of impact on the product localization uh, so why waiting for him or her to launch your country it doesn't really make sense so what we do now is we launch a new country internally. We have a team of expansion manager mm-hmm. who, um, who basically set the foundation uh, for the country, localizing the products, uh, interviewing freelancers, interviewing clients, um, localizing our USPs, so our value proposition for both uh, audience, um, uh, making sure we adapt also uh, our legal uh, our legal setup, uh, our back office, uh, the payment systems, etc., etc., and that takes quite a lot of time. It takes three to four months, and you don't need your country manager to do that. So you, you can do it in parallel. Of course, you start looking for a country manager, but don't wait until you have recruited this person to start uh, launching. So, Quentin, like just a quick question on that. So you mentioned that obviously, like your first tip here uh, about people, it's to not wait to hire the country manager. And as you mentioned that you're using an expansion team, can you just tell us more about this expansion team? Like what type of profiles uh, are they internally? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we already had an expansion manager for Spain, uh, Shiraz. She arrived, uh, we recruited her to launch Spain. So she also had to learn uh, everything about Malt uh, while launching Spain, which was not as efficient as um, as it could be. Um, so ideally, you, you you find your country launcher uh, in your team, uh, someone who has already been in the company for one or two years. Um, <clears throat> it depends on the, what are the key um, drivers for a launch. If you are more a marketing-driven company, Maybe someone from marketing uh, should be your country launcher. Okay. Uh, but for Malt, uh, usually we have either um, uh, business developers, so people who worked in sales, uh, preferably with a consulting background. So someone who did a bit of consulting, then business development is perfect. Um, <clears throat> or someone from uh, the sales operations team. Um, so we have an operations team at Malt, um, people with uh, startup experience or um, consulting experience who are basically super uh, project manager. They can do pretty much everything. Uh, they can handle clients. They can handle freelancers. They know perfectly how the processes and the tools are working. Uh, they can uh, uh, work uh, autonomously on uh, analysis. Um, and um, <clears throat> so these two profiles for me are very relevant to, to launch a market. But anyone in your company who is really has an entrepreneurial mindset 
uh, and who understands uh, the choices that you've made uh, will be a good choice to, to launch a country. Being an entrepreneur, of course, is super important. A good project manager, autonomous, is uh, important as well. And the language, the fact that the person is not necessarily a native speaker, for you, 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 you haven't noticed that uh, it's, it's a barrier at the start? No, it's not an issue. Okay. Um, especially in B2B uh, format uh, where our freelancers, uh, our clients, they speak English. Um, and there's so many things to do at the beginning um, on internal topics that you mostly deal with uh, people internally. Um, so it's not, no, honestly, it's not a big issue. It helps, of course, but it shouldn't be uh, your key criteria. It's better to recruit uh, uh, an English-speaking entrepreneur uh, than uh, someone who speaks a local language but who, who doesn't have enough background uh, and experience in your company. Um, and you also recruit in parallel local, local people. Um, mm -hmm. So you still recruit your country manager, you recruit your business developers. And same thing, you know, for the recruitment, don't wait until you recruit a country manager to recruit the rest of the team. It can sound a bit, uh, um, uh, how to say it, uh, unconventional mm -hmm. that a country manager does not recruit his own team, but it takes nine months, one year to recruit a country manager. You don't have this time when you're in a startup. Um, so now you recruit a team and, and, and then uh, uh, what is good is that people you recruit can also interview their future boss uh, and, and <laughs> it's good to make sure that there is a right culture fit. Um, and it's also reassuring when you have a country manager who comes into uh, into a country. There are already a few employees there, uh, already a bit of revenues, maybe uh, already a localized product. So it shows also to potential country managers that you are serious about it. Uh, and mm -hmm. it helps you also to attract uh, potentially better profiles. Okay, perfect. So we got it in terms of people. You shouldn't wait to hire uh, or, or like to yeah to get your country manager to start explaining it. Do you have like other I would say like key insights to consider? Yeah, and the second thing is, um, and we try to do that as much as possible now, is to um, promote internal mobilities. Uh, it's good for everyone uh, because if you have uh, uh, employees from your uh, sales team, from your community team, for your marketing team, for your communications team, whatever who are eager to uh, spend uh, one or two years abroad, uh, bring them to countries you are launching um, because they will be the first uh, level of support uh, for your team locally to understand how the company works, uh, who, uh, who they should speak with when they have a product feedback, uh, how uh, Salesforce uh, is working, uh, if uh, this uh, thing on the product is a bug or it's a feature that uh, they don't know about. So it's super important to have people who really know the company locally, uh, expansion managers, of course, but also not expansion manager will stay three months, but also employees on a mobility will spend uh, one or two years in, in, in the country. It's very, very important. It also brings uh, your culture, your uh, home culture uh, back to your new offices. Um, and it's very important if you want to have uh, one culture across the company. Um, so in um, in Spain, Shiraz, our country launcher, spent one year one year in uh, in Spain. Mm -hmm. And um, now for the UK, two um, uh, two of my best uh, uh, colleagues uh, from France and Spain are uh, joining me. Uh, they will relocate to London. Uh, they spent a few days uh, this week in London already with a Comage team. And um, and it's gonna it's gonna really help. Uh, we we did that uh, in in Belgium, where one of our first key account manager uh, was Belgian, and and uh, and he moved back to Brussels. And uh, it, we really see the impact on the team compared to countries like Netherlands or Germany, where we didn't have that. 
Okay. And when you talk about like internal and international mobility internally, it's just a few key people, right? Like you don't, you don't offer that to not virtually anyone, but like can, I don't know, developers, etc. also do the same or it's really just expansion and, and sales teams? No, it's open. Uh, it's really open. Uh, in reality today, it happens mostly with people I asked to come with me. Yeah. Um, but we are trying to promote that. Um, we do have other examples. Uh, for example, uh, one, one, uh, one person from the communications team mm -hmm. uh, wants to spend a few months in Berlin and a few months in Amsterdam. We have offices there. So yes, please go go over there. Um, we allow people to work to work from another office. So we have main offices. We have offices in Paris, in Lyon, in uh, Berlin, Munich, uh, Amsterdam, Brussels, etc. So if your job allows it, you can work from any of these locations. Uh, if, of course, if you work uh, in sales in France, you can't live in Berlin. Uh, but in some jobs, uh, in marketing, in, uh, in ops, uh, it's totally uh, doable. So yeah, we actually encourage that. Of course, it's uh, not, uh, um, we, we don't, um, uh, it's, it's not really an international mobility. So we don't um, pay for all the uh, incurred uh, costs uh, for the employee. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's on them. It's an opportunity we give them to live uh, to live abroad and to spend some time in another office. People that I bring with me uh, because I really want them to expand the market, then it's a different uh, different mechanism. Okay, clear. All right, so don't wait for a country manager. Promote internal mobilities internationally. That's the second one. Yes. Uh, and the third one is uh, recruit also, uh, front load the recruitment of the rest of the team with, before the country manager. And the last one is uh, uh, yeah, create an expansion team. Uh, if uh, international is uh, your strategy, then create an expansion team. Yep. Okay, perfect. So those were... I would say like the main focus on what you call the people aspects. I think there's one thing that I didn't mention uh, yes. on this part. Uh, last point, it's uh, top management, also local presence. Um, when you are in the office um, as a manager and you need to bring your C-levels to your other offices, when you are at the office, people don't, uh, people ask questions. You are around. They, they, they feel free to ask a lot of questions to you <clears throat> that they wouldn't feel you know, comfortable sharing maybe on Slack or email otherwise. Um, so it's an opportunity for everyone to, <clears throat> to, get, um, to get answers, to get your view on the strategy, on the product, on some challenges that they face. Mm -hmm. So you really help to solve local issues much, much faster than uh, by being remote. Uh, and you also hear what is happening, uh, what are the types of discussions that people are, uh, have among themselves, what problems they are facing. And it's always an eye-opener when you come in a country for two, three days, you come back with plenty of ideas on how you can help them. Um, and the second thing, and I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but personally, when I sit in the office in Madrid or when I sit in the office in London, I spend 80% uh, of my time uh, dealing with local issues. Um, because my brain, I don't know, is wired to work for uh, uh, UK problems or Spanish problems when I'm over there, mm -hmm. um, uh, even if I have a large to-do list uh, for, for, for other countries, uh, I tend to naturally focus on those uh, items of my to-do list. Well, when I'm in Paris, uh, I, I deal with 
you know, with the COMEX issues, uh, with fundraising, with other topics. Uh, and, and those naturally come into a, a second, a second order. And um, so it's really it's natural. You'll see if you go in a country, you will manage local topics naturally. And how often, I mean, I don't know if, if yourself, because like there's there are like different countries that you're managing, like how often do you go in each country or is that just depending on the level of requirements, depending on, I don't know, the expansion stage, for instance? Yeah, it's, it really depends on the maturity. Uh, for example, uh, I'm spending quite a lot of time in Amsterdam this month because my um, head of sales is on paternity leave. Uh, so I have to, to be here because we just welcome three, three, new, three new employees. Uh, I don't go to Belgium a lot these days uh, because the team is almost fully complete and, uh, and there is a good ramp-up. So it really depends on, the, on the where I'm needed. Mm -hmm. um, but I try to travel uh, three, four days every two weeks. Um, when I was managing Spain uh, directly, I was spending uh, uh, one week every two weeks uh, in Spain, which was a bit uh, exhausting. Um, but I'm responsible for uh, those new markets, so I spend a lot of time over there. For other sea levels, what I would suggest is uh, spending two, three days uh, every quarter in an office uh, in one of the main countries. Okay. Clear. So two, three days uh, for like the, the sea level. So it's, it's uh, two, three days per month, basically, uh, if you have a three, four countries. Very clear. So those were basically for you, like the key aspects to consider when it comes to people, when you have like a global expansion, like projects uh, across, you know, countries. Um, and you also mentioned a second one, which was localization. Could you, could you perhaps tell us more about this one? Um, <clears throat> yes. Lo localization um, can mean a lot. Um When and I think when we launched uh, when we launched Spain, we didn't really pay enough attention to the local specificities of the market, um, and and that explains also why we struggled at the beginning. Um, so there are two types of localization. The first one is uh, localize your product, so create a local uh, a local uh, uh, website uh, address. Uh, if uh, you go to the UK, it's uh, accept payments in pounds. Um, <clears throat> of course, translating into the local language. So this is more the product and more basic localization, um, which is super important to do, of course. But we did only that for Spain. Uh, what we didn't do, it's uh, the go-to-market localization and the expansion strategy. Um, because when, we, when you are super successful in your home country, you believe that you found the secret recipe and that it will work everywhere. Yep. Um, and why uh, why changing things that worked? Uh, you found uh, the secret in uh, in France, uh, so let's use it uh, and let's use the same thing in uh, in Spain, right? Um, in reality, all countries are same same but different. Uh, even in an industry as uh, like like the freelancer industry, which is quite I mean there are freelancers uh, hundreds of thousands of freelancers in every country in Europe. All clients across Europe are struggling to recruit developers or consultants. Um, so yeah, the, the product should be the same and it should work the same. Um, but in reality, there are some differences. That, and if you don't pay attention to that, you, you, you will fail. For example, to give you some concrete examples. Um, in Spain, um, the mid-size or small uh, SMBs, uh, the small companies market, it's, uh, it's very small. Um, those companies tend to be quite fragile economically um, and they don't have a lot of uh, purchasing power. 
so they tend to uh, work mostly with freelance offshore freelancers in South America, for example. Um, they are not ready to pay the price of our local communities. Uh, while in Germany, it's totally the opposite. In Germany, you have a very strong mid-size uh, market called the uh, Mittelstand. Uh, half of the country's economy uh, relies on, on those companies. It's mid-sized companies who are exporting billions of euros uh, across, across the world. Very strong economy. So <clears throat> in Spain, usually when we launch a country at Malt, we start with the SME market. And in Spain, it was very, very difficult. Not a lot of repeat, high acquisition cost, low uh, average basket. <clears throat> so very difficult. Um, so we shifted our strategy to focus much more on corporate clients. Mm -hmm. um, and it's working uh, very well. We multiplied by 10 our revenues uh, on the corporate in two years. Um, <clears throat> but we really had to shift our strategy and to shift our vocabulary. Another example, in Spain, uh, freelancer, the word freelancer has kind of a negative um, meaning. Um, so we, we stopped using the word freelancer and now we use the word independent consultant, uh, which bears a mo much more uh, weight, I think, and... and uh, professionalism for, for large companies. Not the case in, 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 uh, in France or in the UK, or people are proud to call themselves freelancers. Uh, but in Spain, it had a negative, uh, a negative image. Um, another thing, uh, in, um, in Spain or in France, our main persona are uh, IT managers, of course, uh, hiring managers, but also procurement. Because it's a procurement team who is dealing with uh, uh, contingent workforce, uh, consultants and contractors. In, uh, in Netherlands, in Belgium, or in the UK, it's uh, HR. Because in those countries, HR are also hiring uh, freelancers uh, and contractors, not only uh, full-time employees. In France, if you speak with HR, they are only dealing about uh, uh, hiring full-time employees and managing with uh, managing uh, workers' council. Mm -hmm. They don't uh, they are not involved at all in the processes to recruit freelancers because this is more considered consulting and consulting is managed by procurement. Uh, so if you go and, and, and in, uh, in the Netherlands and say, okay, you speak with the procurement department and you say, we are disrupting uh, uh, Atos, for them, it won't mean anything. Uh, you need to go to uh, uh, recruitment and say, we are disrupting Hayes or Ronstadt. And now it rings a bell. So you have to understand who your target persona is. Maybe it will change in its country. What are their challenges? Uh, in France, we had a challenge for freelancers to get paid on time. It doesn't happen in Germany. In Germany, everyone pays on time. Uh, it's super rude and uh, no one does uh, it to pay uh, with a 90 or 100 day delay. It doesn't exist. Uh, while in, in, in Spain and in France, it's quite common. We have clients in Spain who ask us to pay in 120 days, which is illegal in Europe, but still, that's the way they work with consulting companies and they want to pay freelancers under those terms. And, and question, Quentin, uh, uh, on that. So the fact that, uh, you know, if I just take back the example you, you just had before around the uh, buying process, right, uh, and, and HR involvement, how soon... Do you find out this kind of? Do you find out this kind of insight? Is it during? I would say like the normal sales process, right? So like you guys just try, and then do outbound or whatever, and then because it's not working, you just figure that out. Or do you have like any other um, kind of process to f to figure it out before actually going into sales mode? I think I really believe in uh, uh, done is better than perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I really believe that you should try and sell uh, the way you do, and then you learn along the way. Uh, of course, when we launch, when we prepare the launch of a country and we are doing the product localization, we also interview a lot of freelancers and clients uh, in parallel to understand how they work today with uh, with marketplaces, if they work with marketplaces. So we have this um, market research uh, process now in place mm -hmm. to have bit, uh, better knowledge at what we did when we launched Spain, where we are looking for those clues. Uh, and we know the questions to ask based on our past experience. But we still get surprises huh? uh, sometimes. <laughs> um, for example, in Netherlands, now we discovered uh, uh, that a lot of clients are using uh, MSPs or VMS. Uh, so they are outsourcing the process of buying contractors to external companies mm -hmm. like uh, Manpower, Randstad, etc. Um, so we have a third uh, company to deal with before uh, accessing the client, which is, which is new. So we are learning new things uh, every time. We, we, we launch, uh, and then that's the importance also of having entrepreneurial uh, employees locally mm -hmm. uh, and having uh, experienced people uh, in, in your team um, uh, so that they are, they are aware of uh, that things can be different uh, and they can help you really understand why you shoot differently locally. Because one thing that don't work is when you have a local team saying the market is different, it's not going to work. And you hear that all the time. But it can be true. And yes, the market can be different and uh, and, uh, and you are not successful because for real reasons or it's just an excuse for failure. How can you know that if, the, if you don't get enough details on why it's not working? So by having those experienced uh, employees there, who have been, uh, who have experienced the selling, the selling process in your home market, they realize that things are different, and they can explain why it's different. Um, for two or three years in Spain, we didn't understand why it was difficult for us to crack corporate accounts. And when I went there, uh, speaking with clients, I discovered that there was a tax issue, and and uh, and we spent six months with three lawyers firms to try to define a new legal model in Spain that would work. Um, uh, and, uh, and the fact that I, uh, that I was there with the team helped to really explain the process and really show that there was no way around to the headquarters and we needed to, to work in a different way. Um, and we changed that model and that's how we, we unlocked uh, growth with corporate clients um, uh, in, uh, in, in Spain. So it, yeah, it's important to be aware to not try to just apply a methodology uh, blindly Uh, because uh, your headquarters says this is the way, uh, this is a Malt way, and you need to do it like that. Mm -hmm. No, you, 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 I mean, every country will be different. Malt Spain is different than Malt France, and it's okay. You want entrepreneurship locally. You don't want uh, just uh, zombies who are applying a, a strategy blindly. It's not going to work. Uh, it can work uh, if you are lucky and, uh, and you don't have a localization effort. But no, honestly, um, I think it's important to, to trust also your team locally, to, to listen to them uh, and to try to adapt uh, your processes and your, and your product. So, yeah, I think definitely this is uh, one of the key insights that um, in some other uh, episodes of, of this podcast we, we discussed, I think, the first... I want to call it bios, but at the same time, when you don't know anything else, I think it's kind of normal. But the, the first um, instinct is to say, okay, let's just do the same way as we do in the home market. And more often than not, unfortunately, it doesn't work. So as you said, I think having experienced people or, or at least people that uh, know this uh, iteration mindset to have, you know, when you open uh, new countries, I think it's, it's key. And also I would perhaps say to have top management, right, that's open 
to do things differently because otherwise even you know if the local people have great ideas but then the top management is not ready to actually listen that's also when you have conflicts mm-hmm. and i think launching with your proven strategy is the right way to do it uh, i mean it's at least you don't have to reinvent the wheel so you launch with your existing strategy but just be very aware that you will need to change it Uh, don't, don't wait and don't, don't do a six months market study to say, okay, this is how we are going to approach this market. No, just launch it the way you did your home market and then you adapt uh, along the way. That would be my, my, my take on that. All right. So talking about, I would say like your localization, like you, you mentioned that you localize your products and you localize then the go-to-market, the target audience, better understand their challenges and making sure that you have people that can iterate along the way and and make and find the right i would say entry doors do you have like other insights on localizing no no honestly uh, i think for, for localizing uh, the, the most important it's uh, as i said listening to the market be ready to change uh, but also don't discourage yourself if you are if you are uh, in in another country and for you there's something that is obvious um, and you you're pushing for this to change you need to keep pushing because change will not happen overnight. And even if for you, it's super obvious, you have to realize where people come from. You have to realize that many people have done that in, in a different way in the past. Um, and they don't, they need to understand why it's not working in a more precise way. Uh, and you will have to repeat yourself many times before it happens, but don't lose hope because things will change. You just need to bring facts, bring uh, uh, KPIs, bring also client quotes. What we don't do enough, it's record clients or, or share quotes uh, to, uh, to, to headquarters. It's super powerful. Or you invite uh, uh, your product manager to a client meeting uh, locally. Uh, you invite people to your country. Ask your CPO, uh, come over uh, in Spain uh, one week. They will love it anyway. They will have a great time and they will speak directly with clients. So bring uh, people uh, to, to, to your front line, speak with your users so that they discover by themselves what you are facing. And yes, don't lose hope. Uh, the change, uh, it took two years uh, in Spain to change our legal model, but we, we, we've done it and I'm proud that we, that we did it. <laughs> that's that's a, a very keen insight. Thank you very much. Perhaps like just a, a quick question out of curiosity. So among those like three and, and then soon four markets with the UK, like do you see any differences in between markets in the way you target them, right? In the way you approach them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Um, I, 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 st- I start to realize that uh, the buying process for corporate clients it's quite different in every country. If I uh, if if I do it a bit uh, rough, uh, in Spain it's very top down and very hierarchical. So if you don't speak to the boss, nothing happens. Um, and uh, and I also see that in the team. You know, there is a very a strong sense of hierarchy. Uh, it's not like, like military uh, either but really if, if the boss says something people apply it and if you speak to someone in procurement yeah, they're super interested but they won't move the finger until you spoke with the boss and the boss says yes yeah, it's a good idea do it mm-hmm. so you, you need a top down approach in Spain you need to recruit Spanish people you need to have people who have a network uh, because it's super super top down 
Uh, in France, people like to do pilots and then never uh, scale. Um, so, oh yes, it's a, so in Spain, in France, you can try, you know, you can start to do business uh, with small amounts. People have the, uh, the, the freedom to, to start testing some stuff, which is good. Uh, but then it takes ages uh, to scale because a pilot can last uh, three years. Uh, so if you do a pilot in France, be uh, very firm at the beginning on how long it will last and what are the KPI you're going to follow and how you will define success so that after that you have, a, a, you have an agreement that, yes, if we reach KPI A and B, we scale. Um, in Germany, it's the opposite. They don't test you, they don't do a pilot, but they study you a lot. Uh, they compare you to, uh, to competitors and once, once they take the decision, then uh, they expand very quickly. So you have to to prove your, your value and to show, in France you say patte blanche, not to translate that, but you have to, to show that you are uh, you can be trust, trustworthy mm -hmm. uh, and then they will open the door very large. Um, in the UK, uh, I don't know yet, so <laughs> I, will, I will discover uh, discover that. But uh, as I said at the beginning, we, we acquired a company uh, at the beginning of the year, Comatch. Uh, they, have been, they have been quite successful in, in, in the UK. Uh, we have 10 employees over there, so uh, they will be the core of, uh, of the team who will expand uh, both companies there and, and they are British, so they will teach me everything. <laughs> they will teach you, yeah, that's, that's your uh, your learning process, right? To try to get like some first insights. And, and that's actually very important, especially early on, to try to grab information from like any type of partners, any type of entities as, as possible so that you, you're like more and more prepared when you actually get on the ground. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, uh, it takes time. I think launching a new market is harder than your core market. It, sounds, uh, it doesn't sound logical. Because you already have a product, it's mature, you already have a methodology, but it's much, much harder. And why? There's two reasons. And Vincent, uh, my CEO, uh, went to live in Munich when we decided to launch uh, Germany. Um, and he explains it very well. Um, and there's two, re two reasons for that. The first one is that if it's your home market, everyone will talk about you in the press for every milestone that you achieve. If you raise 1 million uh, in, in France, uh, uh, all, uh, all journals will talk about it. Um, you will get some press coverage. Uh, the founders uh, also have a network uh, locally. Usually they are they already uh, were entrepreneurs in the past. Um, so they get also, uh, yeah, you get a good coverage for everything you do. Uh, plus, as I said, you can benefit from the founders network, uh, which is super important at the beginning. When we launch in a new market, you don't have that. When a French company is raising 20 million euros, Spanish people don't care at all. Don't care at all. Um, why would I publish a press release at Malte raised 20 million? It's not a French company. We have a team of 10 locally. There's no interest at all. Um, so you struggle to get some coverage uh, contrary to your, uh, to your home market. Uh, the second reason is recruitment. Um, because if you are uh, in Germany, uh, why would you uh, join Malt if you have the choice to join a local unicorn or if you have the choice uh, to join uh, Google or, uh, or Facebook? Uh, you have either the local champion and you're proud to be part of the local champion or you have the uh, US player who pay you uh, twice, uh, <laughs> twice the money. Uh, so it's really hard to attract uh, Uh, top talents uh, locally uh, in, in, in countries where you are not well known. Um, um, so one, one thing we do now is we recruit a talent acquisition manager uh, early on. Okay. Um, someone who has a network, who knows uh, what are the schools where we should recruit, uh, who knows also the culture uh, on, 
what to what to show and what to explain to candidates. Um, uh, it's something we didn't do before. We had uh, headhunters uh, or agencies, but it didn't work as well as having a local uh, local uh, headhunter. The first employee we recruited uh, in the UK and she just accepted our offer is a talent acquisition manager. Okay, I was going to ask you like how soon do you recommend to have like a talent acquisition manager? So it could it can be extremely soon then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. Of course. So that's what you found, you know, to to try to uh, I would say like get past this like hiring slash recruitment uh, challenge, and you know, for the fact that uh, there's like you you don't like you cannot have the network right like of the of the founder to actually open the country. Like, did you find any any tips on that? You know, to try to uh, fight it. Like, do you uh, I don't know. Do you try to hire people uh, locally that have a big network to help you on that or fairs or Yeah, ideally, uh, the team that you recruit, uh, the country manager could have such a network. Um, what we try to do now is to invest more in PR and communication mm -hmm. locally. Um, I think we are not, that, you know, not there yet. Uh, so it's something we, we want to improve in the next countries to have more brand awareness uh, soon. Uh, but we, we, you know, I, I wouldn't say that today we have been successful with that. Okay. Uh, except in, uh, in Belgium. Um, you know, many uh, companies uh, manage Belgium from uh, Paris and Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's not fair for uh, Belgium. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a key market. It's, it's a significant market also. Um, for Malte, uh, Belgium plus Netherlands is bigger than France. Okay. Because freelancing is very mature. So we opened an office in Brussels. Uh, we have a local team of 10 employees in Brussels, uh, headed by uh, Malik. And, um, and it's working really well. And, and I think don't, not many startups choose to open offices in, in, in Belgium. So they are quite uh, happy when we do that. When you do that. So we had good uh, press coverage. Um, uh, and uh, so yes, for, for that, that regard, Belgium has been quite a success. Great. Well, thank you so much. If that's, if that's okay, let's move to the last part of this podcast, which is the Oops, My Bad time. Whoops, my bad. So for those who tune in for the first time, it's a few minutes for the guests at the end to share a big mistake or setback that has happened during the, this country's opening mission so far. So you, you've shared, you know, like a, a few learnings, but yeah, if you had like one, I would say like one extra setback or like mistake, perhaps you want to share with us today, Quentin? Um, so yeah, oops, uh, oops moment. Um, it happened recently um, when we launched in the Netherlands. We discovered um, uh, after a few months that we couldn't uh, ask for uh, fees on one side of the marketplace on the freelance uh, part. Um, so um, yeah, we 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 realized that uh, after launching the country and we changed our, our pricing recently. Um, it's not a big issue because anyway, as I said, done is better than perfect. So I, I would not have uh, postponed the launch uh, to, 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 to make this change. Um, uh, but still, yeah, it's something we noticed uh, a bit late, probably. <laughs> but do you think you could have learned that beforehand in some other ways? Yes, we could. Um, maybe we involved uh, lawyers uh, a bit late mm. uh, in the process. Um But again, I'm not sure it's a mistake because, um, uh, of course, no, it, it would have been better to know it. <clears throat> But if it means that we need to have uh, lawyers working on, 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 new, on new countries uh, six months in advance, um, what happens if we need to change the strategy mm -hmm. uh, and we decide not to launch? And then it's a bit of a waste of money. So 
Um, it's always, uh, there's always pros and cons. Um, some people at Malt uh, would have said we should avoid it, but personally, I think we should go forward always. <laughs> and, and then uh, we, we can stop a good, de- a bad decision. Uh, taken quickly is better than uh, no decision at all. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Kanta, for sharing all your insights with us today. I hope that uh, the, the audience, you know, uh, managed also to, to get some key takeaways. I know I did. So I just have to tell you now and until next time then. Thank you, Alex. Thanks a lot for having me and uh, have a nice Thanks, day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to not miss the next one. And please share it with two people in your network. This is how this podcast gets more visibility and can help more of us to work on international markets. See you soon.